Thank God it's Friday. You're listening to TGIF, the horror movie podcast that brings you all the casual conversations about your favourite or not-so-favourite horror movies with your host, me, Kat. This week, I am joined by Marcy and Bede from the Super Network. How are you? Welcome. Hello. Hey, hello. Hey. So um, I, did, I was going to go through like the list of things you guys do, but I thought it would be probably better if you do that. Indeed, I mean, we're, we're yeah. I guess if for anyone who doesn't know, Marcy and I are the hosts of the Super Network, which is a small little network of multiple podcasts that we host together. Um, we've got the original show, uh, Super Podcast, which of course is one we've been hosting together for about 12, well, well I co-host for 12 years, Marcy for 13, because yeah. what I... Wow. When she and I were doing podcasts together, uh, I was just a guest and I was promoted yeah. after 20 guest appearances. So <laughs> Promoted you because you were like the only person who I was podcasting with. Pretty well, not much. really, but, you know, you're like the mainstay. <laughs> and then, yeah, we've pretty much been doing the super podcast for like, I don't know, 10, 10 years together, something like that. Yeah. And we have lots of other podcasts because, you know, we apparently think we have endless time in the world to keep doing them uh we have podcasters of horror where right now we are going through the masters of horror series that was on showtime back in the day and we have the tubi tuesdays podcast where we go on to tubi and watch a (laughs) random movie to do a watch along audio commentary and then we have the king zone where we go over the adaptations of stephen king and we are ready to launch a brand new podcast, which is Bede's Brainchild. So, Bede, you can describe that one. Indeed. It, um, it's a podcast that we've been brewing for about probably three years now. It's called The Ozploitcast, which is going to be a deep dive into Ozploitation cinema. And for those out there who don't know what Ozploitation is, <laughs> it's basically Australian exploitation cinema. Mm. So, we're going to cover it from the very beginning right up till today. So, from I think it pretty much officially launched in 1970 and is still yep. going strong to to get today. Mm. So we're going to be like covering every movie that falls under that uh, umbrella. So we're going to be talking about multiple films per podcast because there's like a lef- I think when I was putting the list together of films, I think there's mm. like a legit like over a hundred movies, maybe wow. more. So. Originally, I think it was going to be like maybe two, three films per episode. We're going to have to do more. We're going to have to do five just to cover every single. Otherwise, we would be in our 80s still doing the Ausploit cast. Exactly. (laughs) So what films are you looking at? Uh, I guess in terms of horror. Everything from, uh, you know, the, uh, the sex comedies to thrillers, action films. But I guess in terms of horror, I think at some point we will definitely cover you know, classic Aussie horror films like, mm. you know, Razorback, Wolf Creek, Patrick. Um, and th- those are kind of the big main ones, but there's also some other ones in there that I know Marcy and I are excited about because a lot of people don't really know of these mm. movies and they're kind of more sort of underrated gems. So we're definitely excited just to, again, talk about those movies, but also bring them into the consciousness so that, you know, more horror fans can check these movies out. Yeah, that's heaps cool, because I, I know a few Australian horror movies, like ones that obviously people are like, you've got to watch this. I recently watched Body Melt, and yes. <laughs> it is so good. <laughs> like, how had I not seen that before? What was that, I doing with my life? 
The funny thing about that film is the first time I watched it, it might have been in the early 2000s, I actually despised it the first time I watched it. <laughs> but when I rewatched it again like 12 years later, you know, having grown a lot more since then and see, know and learning a lot more, I was, I was just watching and sitting there going like, oh, I actually finally get what this movie is about. It's a satire. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, yeah, if I watched it at, like, 18, I'd be like, this is dumb. But now I'm like, oh, I get it. Yeah. I get it now. It's big brain. Not for 18-year-old me brain. Yeah. Exactly. It's for, it's for the seasoned brain. Yeah. Which <laughs> I think a lot of these uh, exploitation, well, Australian exploitation films will be. Uh, and a lot of stuff that, starts it off like the early 70s there's a lot of sex comedies and i am kind of dreading it because <laughs> i don't know what i'm gonna make of it but i am so game to get into osploit cast and watch a lot of australian films i've never seen have you seen loved ones love yeah. that movie oh yeah good <laughs> okay good <laughs> i um I have a very good experience with The Loved Ones because I went to a special screening before it came out uh, with cast and director, writer Q&A, and I got to meet everyone. And wow, that's that so cool. Stuff. And, yeah, uh, very, very, like, uh, what's the right word? It's a movie that holds a special place in my heart, so... Oh, yeah. Always love the loved ones. And we won't be talking about that on our no. Osploit cast for a Why long not? time. <laughs> not for at least like three oh. years because it's fairly recent. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's like early to mid 2000s, wasn't it? Yeah, about late 2000s. Yeah. 2009? Yeah. Because yeah. yeah. I remember yeah. definitely being out of school when I saw it. And I think my younger sister, like the next one down from me, she hates horror movies, but she was like, Catherine, you have to see this movie. It's called The Loved Ones. <laughs> and now when I think about it, I was like, Emily, you hate horror movies and this is probably why. <laughs> it is the Loved an Ones extreme, is why. It's an extreme yeah. horror movie. Yeah. <laughs> it goes just, into some dark places. It's just so odd that she'd tell me to watch that. I don't know. She, she saw a movie and was like, oh, my God, it's so scary. And but you would love it, You though. better watch it. <laughs> <laughs> I was definitely into horror at the time, so that's probably why. Yeah. Um, so you both, well, you both, is that the, you guys yeah, we're, we're, chose. We, yeah, we both chose. <laughs> you both chose um, to discuss an Australian, um, uh, wow, because there's so many different places we can put this movie. We've got fantasy, there's um, some horror genre mixed in, a little bit of, like, urban legend mixed with fables, mixed with uh, drama, and, mm. yeah, it's just really incredible. So why did you both choose um, Boys in the Trees? Um, I guess because I, I guess I, why we chose it is because we felt like this is a film that's kind of in the past few years is kind of slowly coming into the consciousness in terms of people who mm. love horror. Because I remember hearing about this movie just randomly on a website one day. And I'm usually pretty clued in with, like, Australian genre films, and I'd never heard of this film. Mm. And it was just about to come out. And what appealed to me the most about it is it's a film that's set in 1997, and it's actually set on Halloween. And the mm. idea of a Australian horror film set at Halloween just was appealing to me. 
So I ended up going to see it like when it had its like only two week run at the cinema. And I mean, I'll save what I thought about in a bit, but then after I, but once I did see it, I was like, people need to know about this movie. So I told Marcy, yes, you, you saw it. <laughs> and uh, what did, what were you expecting when, um, when I told you about it and then eventually watched it? Uh, I had actually didn't really know what to expect. You kind of gave me a very small like synopsis and I'm like, oh, that sounds really interesting. And then I watched it and I was blown away that A, we have, you know, anytime we have horror in Australia, I'm happy, like horror-ish or, you know, something that's going to appeal to me personally. (laughs) And I do like my coming of age type movies mixed in with horror and um it just really blew me away because it was a very powerful film in many many ways and in a in a little bit it's kind of uh because it's set in like 97 there's a bit of nostalgia for being young in 97 yeah (laughs) um not that we had much of a halloween but we always tried to Hmm. but you know once i saw it i was like wow this is uh, an incredible film and i think both beat and i have had a lot of love for this film so when it came to choosing what we wanted to talk about it's like you know what this is like an Aussie thing let's go for an Aussie film that we find interesting and maybe not as many people may know about so ended up being the boys in the trees or boys in the trees yeah I absolutely loved it it um it's a beautiful film absolutely stunning Mm. and it was I don't know because I was what eight or nine in 97 and so you know, they're talking about all this stuff and there's the music and it's just such a, yeah, hit me right in the young kid heart where I was just like, I want it to be 97 again. Yeah. <laughs> I wouldn't Definitely mind that. Feel that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, like, Things were so much simpler back then. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like Marcy, like I have a lot of nostalgia. This is That's the feeling I had through this whole film was that mm. nostalgic vibe because 97 was one of, you know, that year I sort of, I just got into high, I was 13 years old, finally got into high school. And so that, that kind of first year of being in high school was a very informative one for me and helped me shape as a person like in the years afterwards. So watching this film, it just, all that sort of feeling I had, even though the experiences of the characters and we'll get into them as we do the episode, uh, like as it, the story progresses, like even though their experiences are different from mine, I still felt a lot of, uh, uh, I could relate to it, like what was mm. going on with yeah. their personal struggles, like mm. their hopes, their dreams, and just that. And I think that's one of the things I loved about the film is that really captures both that time and place and feeling really well. Mm. It does. Yeah, yeah it's beautiful. And I think it's just nice to see an Australian film so beautiful and so representative of what our typical experiences are as well Ooh. as teenagers. And, yeah. you know, you've got kids in school uniforms talking about finishing um, the end of term and yeah. it's Halloween and it's kind of like, well, we don't do that here, but, you know, we'll give a crack at it. We'll, we'll give it a go. <laughs> and uh, yeah. and. As I said earlier, I was listening to a a podcast and it's a bunch of Americans that are speculating over whether we do Halloween or not. And I was like, (laughs) yeah, we go all out here. Like we've really just, we've taken it, we've taken over. We're Halloween's ours now. So (laughs) in the past 10 years, it's really become a thing 
in Australia where people will go and trick or treat and dress up and have parties. But at least when this film was set, like we still tried to do something, but it just, no one was really that interested. So I think it kind of is a bit reflected in this with the kids kind of dressing up and stuff and just prowling the streets as we do. (laughs) Um, It's kind of reminiscent a little bit of, um, you know, being a teenager, wanting to actually do these things, you know, actually have a Halloween. And now that we're adults, we get a Halloween, so. Yeah. I'm pretty sure in 97 I chucked a white sheet on and cut out some eye holes and that was my Halloween (laughs) costume and I got candy and I don't care. I I remember because I was um, living in a country town at the time for many years before I moved down here to Melbourne. Um, Pretty much like I remember going my first Halloween, couple of Halloweens, and I would go with my siblings in that go around to a few doors, the amount... So, yeah, some people would like, oh, yeah, we'll give you some lollies and that, but the, the amount of people either shut the door and it's in our faces <laughs> or basically it was like, it's an American holiday, piss off, <laughs> and stuff like that. So, And if, if only you could return the whole, actually, no, it's pagan, so... I, well, yeah, exactly, okay. exactly. Okay. Well, I didn't know that at the time, but if I, if my, if, if I knew now what I knew then... I would have probably would have said the exact same thing. Yeah. But so, but yeah, and stuff like that, it's, you know, even though, yeah, Halloween wasn't that big of a thing in Australia at the time, but still even watching this film, it's that sort of nostalgic feeling of, yeah. you know, Aussies celebrating Halloween just, just mm. felt kind of true to me in a way, even though there wasn't any scenes in the movie telling these kids, like adults telling these kids the piss off or anything like that. <laughs> Should have though. Exactly. I wonder if um American listeners will be offended that adults tell kids to piss off here. <laughs> they probably but uh yeah, but that happens with normal. Here. It, it's yeah, normal. It and it, it's totally normal. <laughs> it's just what we're like, we don't give a sh- shit in Australia. <laughs> Sorry everyone, we don't. <laughs> we really don't. Um so the description of the film is as follows thanks imdb it's halloween 1997 the last night of high school for Corey, Django, and their skater gang the grommets childhood is over and adult life beckons but for Corey, his past has some unfinished business Corey's friends get suited up for a night of weed smoking drinking vandalism and girl chasing in other words business as usual but Corey, who can no longer uh, countenance the skater's merciless harassment of jonah winds up taking a very different itinerary he finds Jonah and together the boys go on an all-night trek that's, that's half descent into old fears and nightmares, half reckoning with the future. As they walk through their memories and ghosts of the past, Corey is surprised to discover how much he still has in common with his abandoned friend. But on the night of great delight, even the most buried truths will find a way of coming to life. That's a really good description. Oh, yeah, definitely. <laughs> Fantastic. Thanks, IMDb. Whoever wrote that on IMDb. Congratulations. No, no, it was most likely the filmmaker, if I had to guess. Oh. <laughs> I was like, this is, really, uh, this is beautiful. Um, so the film is written and directed by uh, Nicholas Verso, who also wrote Nowhere Boys and The Last Time I Saw Richard, which is a short on Shudder. Not too sure if it's still on there, though. Yeah, well, I haven't checked. Well, I know that that's short. I, I know it's on Vimeo. You can watch it on Vimeo okay. there. Uh, but I do know that that short was also kind of the basis for this film because I yeah. watched it because a couple of years back I actually wrote about this film for a column I used to do for um, 
screencast.com called Horror Down Under. So I wrote oh, about cool. that and also talked a little bit about how this short it's was the basis for this film, or at least like they kind of mirror certain elements are kind of um, taken from that short film into this one. So um, it was interesting kind of watching that in, and this film, just seeing the similarities between the two. And of course, um, Toby Wallace, who plays Corey yeah, in the film. Both. Yeah, he's in both, but he plays the Jonah character in the, uh, in the oh, short. Oh, okay. Oh, that's interesting to know. I'm going to check it out on hmm. a video. But um, so, yeah. It, the film is also produced by John Malloy, who did Killing Ground and Macbeth. Macbeth is a terrible movie. Um, <laughs> uh, the film stars uh, Toby Wallace, who's also in Baby Teeth, which my sister has been harassing me to watch. That's a great movie, that one. Her, okay. That's, that's a really good one. And he's great in it, too. So, Yeah, she has really good taste in movies, so maybe I should just trust her on it. <laughs> Uh, Gulliver McGrath, who is in Dark Shadows and Loved Ones, and Mitzi Rollman, I think that's how you say her last name, um, who was in Home and Away. Great Aussie television show. (laughs) Indeed. It's a staple of of Australian identity, uh, Home and Away and Neighbours. Like, you you can't go through life without ever seeing one of those two shows growing up. Well, I still watch Neighbours. So do I. Keep watching Neighbours, all right? (laughs) I get home from work and it's on, so I just, like, sit down and watch it and I'm like, all right. It's my 6.30 tradition. Yeah. <laughs> I, I used to watch Neighbours a lot. I grew up with Neighbours, but around 2004, I was like, nah, I'm done with the show, mainly because some kid was on the bonnet of a car, it went over a cliff, and you think... Oh, yeah, oh, I remember that episode, yeah. <laughs> you think he died, but in the next episode, he's only in a wheelchair and he's fine. I'm like, okay, that's just too much of a... Unrealistic. Unrealistic way for me. And this, and this is a show that had at least, like had volcanoes, like natural disasters, cults and stalkers yep. within the same year. <laughs> <laughs> so anyone who hasn't watched Neighbours, um, it's a fantastic drama series, uh, all based in Melbourne on Ramsey Street. Yes. <laughs> That's great. Everyone should watch it. <laughs> See, we don't have, like, Days of Our I mean, we watch Days we of Our it's Lives, Bold and the Beautiful, whatever, but... This is like the Aussie like soap opera yes. version. It, Neighbours was the show that introduced Kylie Minogue to the world. Yes. Yeah. While Home and Away introduced uh, Guy Pearce, Russell Crowe, Chris Hemsworth. Smart Weaving. That is Na- true. Neighbours also gave us Margot Robbie. <laughs> oh, yeah. I was and- on the Margot Robbie bandwagon oh. because I saw her as Donna on Neighbours. She was so good on Neighbours. Mm-hmm. And I think Guy Pearce was also on Neighbours as well. So he was he in was. both shows. So, <laughs> Well, you are welcome. There you go. <laughs> and Tony Collette just came out of nowhere, really. She wasn't on exactly, TV shows, But she was in uh, Muriel's Wedding. Love that movie. <laughs> Classic. I actually hate it, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't seen it in years. Oh, I think I had to study it for school. Oh, no, maybe not. That might have been a yikes movie to study at school, huh? (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) Um, So uh, Boys in the Trees actually went on to win Best Feature at the Austin Film Festival, which is uh, pretty cool. So I think it was at a lot of different film festivals. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And I think a lot of um, uh, curators of these film festivals were having trouble, like, finding a place to put the mm. film. And I think that's why maybe it didn't take off the way that it should have. Hmm. 
Yeah, because mm-hmm. yeah, because it's it's a movie that it's what they would say is a genre mashup. Like it's not yeah, like one thing. Like it, like you were saying before, Cat. It's a mixture of horror, drama, like uh, teen film, like it and and fantasy. Like it sort of mixes all these elements together to create its own thing. And I can definitely see, like you know, some people. Like it's this definitely like distributors in that, or even at film festivals. Like, where do we put this movie? Do we put it in the what do I do? Horror, do we put it in the horror section? Do we put it in the drama section? But I think that's. But I can understand that, like you know, aspect. But I think that's what makes this film so unique as it is because it mm, yeah. is like so many different things. And usually, something like this, like one section, would overwhelm the other. But I think. The, having all these elements together, it actually feels cohesive as a whole, and it doesn't. And each aspect actually works. Yeah, yeah. It yeah. um, it really blends together the different um genres that it takes on, but it actually works really well because they do complement each other. Hmm. So I can understand like it is hard. Like where <laughs> where would you? How would you define this film? But like for me, I would say it's more like a kind of horror drama coming of age story it almost reads like a young adult fiction to me Mm. as i watch it i was like i could read this as a book Mm. easily 100 percent, yeah yeah definitely let's dive in to this really beautiful film because i actually really like it let's do it (laughs) so the film opens as Corey, who we later find out is a young budding photographer taking photos of his oh friends at the skate park just hanging out being douchebags Mm. because Mm. we meet his mate Django who's his best friend and I just am not a fan of him at all no (laughs) he's a wanker (laughs) oh he really is isn't he yes (laughs) I just have so much frustration towards his character and I kind of get why he's put there and Mm. we'll talk about that later because obviously it's very important to Mm. Corey's development Mm. um and so there's a smaller teenage boy who we find out is Jonah and he is punched in the face by Django. Because he's that. a dickhead. Because exactly. he's a dickhead. Yeah. And I just, it makes me really hate Australian teenage boys because I'm just like, <laughs> you're all assholes. <laughs> like you really are. Yeah. It, yeah, it's definitely it, like, even like the, these opening scenes, like the setup, and we see these boys, like it was so for me realistic, especially like being at, you know, 14, 15. That's what boys were like at high school. Yeah. And most of the time, they did deserve a punch in the face, like Django types, not Jonah types. Not Jonah types. Jonah types. No, you'd want to protect Jonah. Yeah. yeah, you want to protect them. Um, the really sad thing is that Corey actually takes a photo of Jonah as he sits on the ground with his bleeding nose and he, of course, gets up and run, runs away from the group of guys because they are a bunch of assholes. Mm. Uh, so they all head off to Corey's house where his dad, who is kind of cool, his dad's just kind of like nonchalant about everything by the sounds of it. Yeah. <laughs> and doesn't dads know, here. And, and doesn't mm. know how to turn on a printer. And yes, which I, as soon as I watched this, I was like, yeah. that's my dad. Yep. <laughs> Technologically yep. inept. Yeah. Um, 
So we kind of get the idea that Corey and his dad don't have the best of relationships, which most boys at 17, it'd be quite typical that we find this kind of um, interaction because mm. Corey's really disinterested in speaking with his dad. Yeah. Yep. And kind of just brushes him off as, oh, whatever, dad. And um, mm. his dad finds out that he'd actually, that Corey had applied to go to New York, to New York University, which is not a thing, um, to study photography. And his dad's not too happy about that, which is kind of like if when I told my dad I wanted to go do a Bachelor of Arts, that's like the same response I got, where it was like, <laughs> Don't you think you should do something specific? And I was like, yeah, Dad, I can just study all the history and all the English and all the books. And Dad's like, how about (laughs) you don't do that? Yeah. (laughs) He's like, otherwise you're going to have to do a master's. And I was like, well, all right, Dad, you know best, (laughs) right? Uh, Obviously, Corey's dad doesn't know best because he doesn't really know Corey. No. Um, I love that in the background, the boys are all like sneaking alcohol out of the booze cabinet and as if the dad doesn't know. Yeah, exactly. I mean, so he only has to turn around and then be like, where did all my booze go? <laughs> I, I wonder where it went. <laughs> like, really? They're not like, you know, he's not going to notice that he's got no alcohol left. <laughs> Come on. Idiots. Boys, you got to be smarter than that, mate. What you do is you just pour out a little bit. Put some water in. Exactly. 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 Yeah. My we didn't really have alcohol in my house. Like with my my mum didn't drink, so I like didn't have the opportunity to steal spirits. <laughs> and my stepdad drank beer, and there's no way I was stealing that at sixteen. Oh no! Beer is no. gross. Yuck. Now though, <laughs> beer is totally. <laughs> <laughs> So they all go upstairs with the bottles of alcohol that they've Mm. snuck out of the cabinet. (laughs) And they're talking about how they're going to spend their night for Halloween. Django is a bit annoyed that Corey wants to leave to study in New York. And the two have a bit of a disagreement. Mm. And one thing that I noticed uh, from other podcasts and articles that I had read is that a lot of people are trying to bring up this intimate relationship between Corey and Django. Um, you know, oh, maybe Django's in love with Corey. And I, I don't think that's the case in no. the way that I mm. see things. No. I see it as a competitive relationship mm. and that Django, you know, might not have all the things in his life that Corey has. And he's frustrated that he'd even get an opportunity to mm. leave their town and get away, whereas Django might not have those opportunities. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's a definite um, jealousy issue. But there's also, you know, when you have your, like, core group of friends and it's that fear of being split up, everything's going to change. And I think that plays into that kind of dynamic and especially with, you know, the possibility of Corey studying abroad. It breaks everything up. Things are changing. And I think it's more of a reminder for Django that he has to grow the fuck up and he doesn't want to. Yeah, absolutely. That's how I see that dynamic. And, you know, it's when someone's kind of living this miserable life, they kind of just want to keep everyone down with them. And that's how I feel this is. Yeah, exactly. At least how I interpret it anyway. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. Yeah, exactly. And meaning like, like, yeah, like you say, that sort of jealousy aspect, but also like, you know, you know, he doesn't want to grow up. He just wants to party, hang out with his friends and do all the stupid shit that they want to do. And, you know, 
And of course that causes this animosity between the two of them. And so that, that's kind of, I, and, and then some way I think some people could relate to that. You know, some, mm. some kids want to just like hang out and party and others want to actually get out of the town that they mm. want to yeah. live. And we've all had been in instances like that. And I think this scene really does sort of show that in a way that is mm. very relatable on some level. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. I just, um, yeah, Django's definitely put there as a catalyst for Corey mm. making that decision to move forward with his growing up mm. in yeah. a way. Because if he keeps going the way he's going, I think, like, Corey, uh, his name's Corey, isn't it? Yeah. Sorry, I always get my name mixed <laughs> up. Um, that Corey doesn't want to end up like Django if he doesn't actually be proactive in his life and what he wants. Yeah, absolutely. Mm, Django's a loser. Very, yeah, Django's a dick. Fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck off, Django. Um, so Corey, who's trying to fit in with this whole Django wants me to be one of the boys thing, he throws his application in the bin, which is really upsetting because, you know, you want your yeah. protagonist to get in there and succeed. Um, so in a little bit of a sulk, Corey goes into his dark room to develop some photos that they took during that day. Yeah. Django follows him in with this shit excuse for an apology and compliments Corey's photography, kind of trying to build that relationship mm. back up and and yeah. uh, repair that from that disagreement that, you know, Django's noticed he fucked up. Yeah. Um, he grabs a photo of Jonah with a bleeding nose and says, uh, this photo has a date with the photocopier. <sighs> so we see that later on uh, in the film, which is quite sad. Because mm. I really like Jonah in this film. Yeah. You it's really, really enduring. You really form a bond as you watch this film with Jonah. So these scenes, like him being like, oh, we've got to photocopy this, like, fuck off. Like, don't hey. do that. And Jonah is just this very precious boy. And I think there's a lot of relatability, especially if in school you were kind of that outcast who got picked on. Which yeah. for me in school, that was me. Not oh, that anyone, <laughs> you know, photocopied pictures of me and put them around the school. I was just like, you know, classified as one of the losers. Oh, yeah, I was a loser, but I just didn't go near anyone. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, I'll just stay away from everyone. <laughs> Keep myself safe. In uh, my nerd bubble. <laughs> <laughs> I was in the art room bubble. <laughs> it wasn't too bad there. Uh, I really love this scene because there's this montage of them all getting ready and yes. they're putting on like their wolf masks, which is a mm. motif that we see throughout the whole film, this whole mm. concept of them being a pack of wolves and um, unruly and kind of crazy and scary. And they're putting on face paint and I was just like, this is actually really cool, even though they're a bunch of dickheads. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, and then The Beautiful People by Marilyn Manson ensues and I was just like, oh. <laughs> Uh, especially in hindsight now but yeah <laughs> it's it's even worse now like yeah. in hindsight um yeah i guess like the use of the song i can't remember it's if cool. it was out at it that was... point um, yeah i think it was yeah actually it was yeah i believe it came out in like 95 or 96 yeah, yeah so mm. it fits with that scene but oh, yeah. just you know it's knowing just marilyn manson <laughs> marilyn manson is a piece of shit yeah it's like oh but I like, really uh, like this song. 
yeah, you kind of got to have a bit of separation. But yeah, um, what I like about, especially when they're getting ready and stuff, and as you mentioned, like the wolf motif, and I feel like there's the other side of it where they a lot of these guys and I feel like Corey especially they mask who they really are yeah. to be around each other so they can fit in and be the popular kids and I feel like that's a very important theme within this movie as we get to know Corey on a much deeper level so I think it's very clever yeah. little like visual clues and yeah well stuff. even Jonah when we do meet him later on down the track has a mask on as well yeah and so everybody seems to be fitting into that hole. People mm. are masked and, and yeah, definitely hiding who their true selves are at that point. Mm. Or not ready to accept who their true self yeah. is. Yeah. Um, and I love this because this is so typical of bullshit I would have done at that age. Um, they're TPing people's houses. <laughs> and they're throwing, um, like, eggs and, and bombs at kids. <laughs> And it's all colourful, yeah. like they wrote. Bloods go off and it's great. all yellow and red. Yeah. It's cool. Uh, however, this time they're also sticking up the photos of Jonah being punched in the face all over the neighbourhood. Dickheads. Because dickheads. Because yeah. dickheads. Um, so yeah. they meet up with another group of friends and Romney, who is the love interest of Corey, and they head towards the cemetery uh, basically to continue their celebrations. I don't know where they got... So they have this really cool setup, right? Where did all that come from? Good question, oh. right? <laughs> oh, <laughs> I was going to answer, so I was waiting for me. <laughs> oh, you mean like how do uh, Corey and Romney know each other? Or like how... No, they... the setup where they hang out. That's the thing, though. Like, I remember even as a teenager, my friends and I... Like, we would just go hang out in the oddest of places. <laughs> mm. I mean, I think maybe at one point we did hang out in the cemetery once. Like, but did you have a fire and a couch and blankets? Definitely not. I don't know where they got all that stuff. Not unless that That's stuff was I mean. already there. Although, to <laughs> I, me- I, I don't know who wants to hang out, like, a party at the cemetery. It's a very weird thing. Like, I guess I it's, they're like, doing it as, you know, I a like Halloween. the dead. Yeah, it, I guess they're doing it as, like, a wick, like a Halloween yeah. thing. Yeah. Like, let's hang out I at imagine. the cemetery and yeah. party. Um, I wouldn't do that personally because, you know, I have more respect for the dead than these people do. But yeah. <laughs> but I can definitely see, like, se- why 17-year-olds would do something yeah. like this. I'm pretty sure when I had a sleepover for like my 15th or 16th birthday, there was a cemetery across the road from my house. Actually, I might have even been younger. And I had a couple of girlfriends sleepover and we just stood on the outside of the cemetery, screamed and ran back to my house. (laughs) That was enough for us. (laughs) Um, No, no cemeteries for me. No, I still hold my breath driving past them. Yeah, I I tend to do that too. I don't know what the thing was. Someone said it once as a kid, and I think I always just did it. I Is think it because it was... the spirits can get in your body? Mm. I always heard, like, if Something. you lift, if you lift your hand hands up in the air if you're passing a cemetery, then it's supposed to be good luck or something like that. That's oh. what I've heard. I can't mm. do that while driving, though. Yeah. <laughs> I can hold my breath. <laughs> <laughs> you're going to end up in the cemetery if you're driving yeah, with your exactly. hands in the air. Well, the... And... I think it's interesting because, like, the movie is set in Melbourne. But the thing is, though, it was shot in Adelaide. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. 
It looks like, almost like a coastal town. Yeah, like I just thought it was weird because like, I mean, Marcy's been living here a lot longer than I have and I've been living here probably nearly 10 years now. But even then I'm like watching the movie, it's like, are they really trying to make us think that this is Melbourne? This is not yeah, Melbourne. It, it really, like, because, you know, I, I lived, born and raised in Adelaide and moved to Melbourne in my mid-20s, like, looking at this movie, it looks very Adelaidean. I almost think <laughs> I recognise, like, maybe what areas it could have been in. So it's just like, you could have just said it in Adelaide. Like, it doesn't really matter. <laughs> Just like do it. for real. <laughs> exactly. So it cuts across to Jonah, who's been spending his night hanging out uh, by a small stream, throwing rocks on his own. We see that his left arm has some cut marks where he's been harming himself. Super sad. He's so drinking sad. from a bottle of whiskey that he ends up um, smashing and he starts to walk across the stream towards a big tunnel that's on the other side. Mm. So back at the group. Corey and Django and his friends are smoking some cigarettes, badass, and drinking around a campfire. Corey walks off from the group to be alone, and Romney follows him. She tells him he's shit for the photos of Jonah and tells him that he's better away from Django and their group of friends. Is she, like, the only voice of reason in this yeah, film? definitely. Apparently. Because, yeah, because it's very <laughs> obvious, like, when he's around her, he's trying to basically... His personality is reflective more of, like, what Django and the other guys have mm, that sort of tough yeah. like oh i'm here to mm. do drugs have sex and stuff like that but romney is the one who kind of sees through that bullshit and yeah. really sees that oh that's not really you at all so why yeah. are you pretending to be someone yeah. someone else and yeah and you definitely see that kind of behavior in teenagers i think that's just across board yeah to My fit in with the pack. like that yeah. yeah just assholes yeah <laughs> Like, be the biggest douchebag you can be because that's cool, apparently. Oh, I hope I hope that uh, teenagers are slowly changing in that perspective. Sorry, in that respect, because yeah. honestly, I don't. If I have teenage boys and they act like that, they're getting smacked. I don't care how old they are. <laughs> <laughs> Go to your room and stay there. Like, I've got a younger brother. He must be maybe. I think he's twenty-two. I'm not too sure. Um, and even if he just say says even like a snarky comment about his girlfriend, I'll be like, "What did you say? Yeah, are you going to talk about women that way in front of me?" And he's like, mm. "No, no, I'm sorry." I'm like, "Yeah, you should be. You shouldn't mm. talk like that." Exactly. So then raising... just give him the backhand. <laughs> oh no, I just threaten. That's enough. Again. <laughs> he's like, "Oh, don't, don't hit me." And I'm like, "Yeah, you <laughs> cruising for a bruising." Yeah. There's a 10-year age difference between us, so he he's he's learning. <laughs> um, so Django, being the the this uh, antagonist, mm-hmm. basically set to like um, bring Corey down constantly, uh, interrupts the conversation with the joint and offers Romney a toke. Um, Corey's a bit discontent with the entire situation, and he gets down and just leaves. Yeah. Um, he walks through the neighbourhood where he's tearing down photos of Jonah, ripping them as he goes. So obviously we're seeing that he is remorseful for what he did. Yeah. And, you know, listened to Romney and was like, okay, well, I'm a dickhead. Yeah. I shouldn't have done that. No, okay. not at yeah. all. Which is nice. I was like, mm. okay, well, at least you know that you're accountable for that. That's nice. Yeah. <laughs> uh, he finds Jonah skating alone in the in the skate park, doing some pretty cool tricks. 
I thought that I thought he was really he's a really good skater. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he was a skater boy. He was. That's uh, so, <laughs> so back at the cemetery, Romney leaves. She's got to go to work. She works at the local petrol station. And Django's Django and the others leave as well. And so that's kind of the last time we kind of actually see between mm. the two groups. So we can see like Corey's journey and mm. then Django and the wolf pack together. Mm. Um, so when spotting Corey, Jonah loses his balance and falls off his skateboard, smacking the back of his head on the concrete. Corey runs over to help him and Jonah fakes passing out. <laughs> 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 Which I thought was funny because I thought that Corey was going to give him like CPR. Yeah. <laughs> and I was just Same. like, oh, that'd be such a, that'd be such a funny joke. <laughs> Being like, ah, you kissed me. Now I'm going to tell everyone. Um, Corey makes a comment about Jonah's mother dying, but realizes how horrible that was and apologizes to Jonah. To make amends, Corey agrees to walk Jonah home safely, which I thought was nice. So we can kind of already see that they have got a relationship. They yeah. know each other and, you know, um, it slowly develops that we, we see how much mm. of a friendship they did have. Mm. Yeah. There's, uh, there's um, a big sense of, um, like, familiarity. It's not just yeah. the boy that gets picked on and the bully. There's definitely, you already sense there's something deeper. And I think I cut you off, Yeah, I was going to say, like, what I like from here and for the rest of the movie is, like, Corey is trying to put up both these fronts of being that kind mm. of Django asshole-ish character while also showing his mm. true self when he's... Uh, <laughs> with. And so, it, basically, he sort of goes back and forth between these two kind of personalities and there. But, of course, like, you know, Jonah kind of just sees through that as well. And I just like that sort of like he's how Corey kind of struggles with that through the rest mm. of this film. Like, does he want to be his true self or does he want to be what, what his friends expect him to be? Yeah, mm. we do see a lot of that duality where he's like, do I be a jerk in this situation or am I being nice? Like, I, it's like a conflict that we see him going through and he's just like, oh, you can see him retreat from being a jerk in some in some situations throughout the film. Mm. Um, so Jonah takes Corey through the woods near their house, um, near both their houses and to the tunnel under the stream from earlier. He tells the story of two sisters who dreamed of having night save them. The sisters grew apart after the older one started becoming interested in boys. The younger sister wandered off into the same tunnel where Jonah and Corey are standing and somehow the young girl became a ghost. As the boys leave a tunnel, a man dressed in white appears and walks to the edge of the tunnel. What I, what I really like about this scene, and of course, as the film progresses, we'll find out that a lot of these stories that, you know, Jonah tells Corey are obviously metaphors about mm. things that I've get, they're personally going mm. through. But mm. what I like about it is how sort of Jonah tells these stories do feel like the type of stories like when we were sort of kids and teenagers, like mm. the scary urban legends yeah. you would hear in your yeah. small town yeah and how mm. i mean even back where i used to live we would have the hear these type of stories and that around like this house used to be haunted or i mean yeah. i even <laughs> had to share a few myself because i think i've said on our show multiple times marcy or how i for many years i lived in a haunted house so basically yeah. i would talk about my experiences with the ghosts that lived there so <laughs> And that, I like how these scenes kind of, especially this one in particular, kind of feel like, oh, yeah, this is the type of story I would tell my friends. Mm. 
if I was that yeah. age. Yeah, definitely. And I think it sort of, when you're on the verge of like sort of 12, 13, I think that's when you kind of get more into, or at least I was, with like urban legend stuff and in those very early days of having the internet, that's what you would use it yeah. to read up on <laughs> urban legends and then tell everyone about it. And um, much like Bede, my the house I grew up in was freaking haunted. Yuck. I'm yeah. so it sorry. It wasn't a bad haunting, <laughs> but it was, it was enough to be really creepy and yeah. just kind of uncomfortable. Uh. <laughs> I, mean, I mean the ghost in my house like i won't go into any of the stories but i know the ghost in my house was a mimic ghost he would like to mimic people's voices oh so if you've uh, I've had you, one of them yeah you'd be at home and you hear someone calling out for you it's like all right i'm coming you go around and there's no one around at all like oh, he used no. to do that all the time oh but no no thanks all right, yeah. uh, podcast done. See ya. <laughs> no, I'm joking. <laughs> I don't mess with the dead. <laughs> uh, so while Jonah and Corey are hanging out, Django is at the skate park and um, he basically is asking his other friends to take photos of him while he performs skate tricks, but his friend is actually just making out with a girl <laughs> that he's just met. <laughs> And he's kind of pissed off. He was like, well, whatever. Um, So he's hurt. And instead of, you know, being cool about it, he refuses to show weakness and suggests they go hunting. I don't know what they mean, but I have a feeling. (laughs) Hunting, Uh, eh? Hunting. (laughs) This scene in particular basically just shows, like, Django's kind of losing his power. Mm. Like, he thinks, like, I'm the leader of this quote-unquote pack, yeah. you're all doing what I tell you to. But now that Corey's kind of pissed off and done his own thing, and now all of the other friends are basically, like, just don't really care what Whatever. Django thinks. It's like, I'm over here talking to a girl. Let me talk to this girl, damn it. Corey's so. out of here, so we don't need you anymore. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, yeah. The power dynamic has definitely shifted, <laughs> and it's just, Yeah. It's not that bad of a thing, though. Because, <laughs> yeah. We see more about why it's not that bad of a thing. Yeah. Um, so, Corey and Jonah continue their walk home, passing by a house that used to scare them when they were kids. You know, the, the house that's haunted or the crazy lady lives there. Mm. Um, Corey refuses to go inside of the gate, but Jonah throws Corey's skateboard over the fence, making him have to go in. Jonah tells Corey the story of a boy named Edward who ruled over the trees and nature who made an oath to explore shadows and darkness, and that's what made him so brave. Um, This scene I actually don't really remember that well, but I remember it being filmed. It looked beautiful from what I remember. Well, with this scene, because, I mean, I rewatched the film in prep for just before this episode, and this scene is basically, I guess, is a metaphor, basically, like, you're at that sort of age where you want to go out and do like explore the world, do sort of great and wondrous things. But as you get old, this is like the things you think about when you're a kid, but as you get older, other priorities come in and then you kind of start to lose that sense of wonder. And then you just basically become dull and mundane. And basically how this 
this Edward character as he's getting older. Like he's getting rid of all of his toys as he's getting a teenager. He's more interested yeah. in girls. Then he mm. settles down and gets married. And then that it's clear like there's a lot of distance between him and his wife. And then eventually it's sort of like it. And basically it's him sitting in a room by himself, watching TV, doing nothing. Mm. Really while, sad. And mm. all these kind of dark shadows who come in and basically come in and consume him. And mm. it's definitely kind of, it's a very kind of, uh, poignant scene because it is basically telling us what it's like growing up and losing that sense of imagination mm. and wonder and wanting to do mm. the things that you want to do and it's very yeah. clear like it's basically reflective of like what Corey's going through because the either he goes out and explores the world and goes follows his career as a photographer or he stays behind in this town and basically lives a very much a nothing life and becomes Edward pretty much yeah mm. Yeah. Mm. It's a story that I think Corey wants to avoid that life because he will if he listens to Django. Yeah. Yeah. I, I find it like it's a very clever little like story. Um and the the visuals are really striking for it as well. Yeah. I love all the stories that they tell throughout this. It's just mm. such a it's like a imagination dreamscape almost mm. that they're taking us through and it, yeah it's just stunning i i was just like this this is made here <laughs> what mm. do you mean <laughs> yep and um, yeah as we said shot in adelaide and a lot of those houses look creepy because i remember driving past like certain houses and my mum would be like oh i think that's haunted oh, probably <laughs> and i'm like it's adelaide everything so, yeah. <laughs> it's like driving through the rocks in sydney everything's haunted there yep um, so Jonah basically, um, he's sorry, he says when he, this is about Edward, um, that, uh, he basically began shutting out the darkness and all the things that scared him. And the price of growing up is losing one's dreams and that forgotten dreams can be vengeful. Mm. And that's why he never wants to grow up. So mm. Jonah wants to live forever. Mm. Oh, well, and- not live forever, but be young forever. Mm. And you could easily say, like, the dark dreams who become resentful could be a metaphor for regret. Yeah. Like, yeah. Like, it's... Because like, regret is probably the thing that claws at us at the most as we get older. Mm. And if things we don't do, like, we regret them in life, and then they keep gnawing at us for, for the rest of our days. And that's mm. definitely... Yeah. And I think that's what's great about this film is, like, it really sort of captures all these feelings that we all go through, but it does it in a way that plays it like a fable like these stories mm, yeah. and all that, which, you know, what fables and fairy tales are supposed to do. They're supposed to be mm. metaphors of life in their own way. Yeah. Just a lesson. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Jonah That's convinces cool. Corey to explore the house, but then yells, yells trick or treat and scares Corey away. <laughs> uh, Corey's pretty pissed off and he prepares to leave and go home another way, but Jonah convinces, convinces him uh, to keep walking together. Uh, Django and his group of friends are skating around and still vandalizing Halloween attractions um, because Django is on the lookout for Corey. So uh, Django's kind of spiraling at this point. Mm. And he's just like, where the fuck is Corey? How dare he leave me? Yeah. How dare he screw up the power dynamics in this group? Mm. Uh, he's not allowed to just leave and be on his own. He, he needs me. He needs me. Um, so Corey and Jonah are at their old high school and they're climbing on the rooftop. Um, there's lots of birds. 
um, Corey and Jonah are sharing their struggles because they've drifted apart. So they're kind of having this um, moment of sharing. They're being vulnerable, which, you know, is part of that mask coming off for Corey. And Corey mentions his dog dying and Jonah talking about losing his mother. Jonah says that being alone is preferable rather than needing people to rely on. Corey believes the opposite and enjoys having his friends as support. So this is a really nice moment. And I'm sure that a lot of teenage boys don't share their feelings with one another, mm. ever. I imagine they don't. <laughs> yeah. No, I, could, I, I know men even my age who don't even do that either. You have to kind of really coax them just to even share their emotions. Yeah. Mm. Oh, I hope that changes. I hope that dynamic is changing and that people are sharing their feelings. Share your feelings. Your yes. Feelings. People are listening. <laughs> uh, so they enter the main school building and Jonah reflects on how hard being bullied was for him as they were entering puberty. Corey hides as they hear Django and the group of boys entering the school. So they're there to vandalize the building. They don't know that mm. Corey and Jonah are hiding in there. And um, I really love this scene because um, <laughs> where he puts the smoke bomb up and comes out in like um, in Jonah's Halloween mask and sprays <laughs> them with the fire extinguisher. I was like, that's so good. <laughs> I wish I could do that. And it, and it really is. We could just smack Jonah with the, not Jonah, um, smack Django with the freaking fire extinguisher. <laughs> <laughs> but really like in this scene too, it was like it before, like, of course, Jonah talks about another story, which obviously is about him and using, basically describing him being like chased by wolves, which are, you know, visual using mm. werewolves and all that, which are obviously better for, for his bullies. Mm, and, yeah. um, and of course, in certain shots, you'll see like Django and his mates either have like yellow eyes, like wolves, mm. or even like certain shots where you see them with wolf feet. And then in the next, mm. they're just back to their uh, normal mm. human feet. Yeah. And also you see shadows along the wall of, of the werewolves and that. And it's really well yeah. done in how it does it. Mm. Yeah, I like that they continue that throughout the film as the um, the transformation kind yeah. of signature in a way. Yeah. Um, so Corey tells Jonah about a girl named Laura Premble, who was the first girl he was ever with, who says that she liked drinking and that's why they parted ways. And I was just like, but look at you now, Corey. Mm. Look what at are you doing, now. Corey? Yeah. <laughs> Um, they're on their way to the petrol station to grab something to eat. They're singing a song on the way, and I wrote that I remember this song from my childhood, and now I can't remember what the song is. And I didn't write it down. I don't know why. I actually cannot remember what it was. Because <laughs> um, I I watched it, the, I rewatched the film a few weeks ago, but it's not that fresh in my memory. Yeah, I watched it on the weekend and I was just like, why didn't I write down what the song was? Yeah, I got a curious too because, um, yeah, I wish I knew what the song was. Like I'm looking at trivia now just to see what it could be because sometimes it'll pop up there, but yeah. it's not really sort of giving me the answers that I'm looking for. I'm going to find it tonight. After this recording, I'm going to go onto Netflix and I'm going to skip to that scene and I'm going to find it and I'll let you know because as soon as I hear it, I'll remember. Yes. Um, so Rummy's working at the petrol station and her and Corey are just talking about their lives, what they want to achieve. 
And uh, Corey admits that he feels guilty for leaving Jonah behind for popularity and to be friends with Django. Um, Romney, who is incredibly frustrated with Corey, yells at him that she wishes that all boys would just grow up. Don't we all? (laughs) Um, Corey says that he does want to grow up. He just wants to keep enjoying being young uh, and that he's just frustrated. And Romney says, you think you're frustrated here? Try living in the same world in a skirt surrounded by a bunch of babies who don't even notice you. Why can't you guys just grow up? Girls do. We just stand here waiting while you guys are stuck with your head in the trees. And that's the honest truth right there. (laughs) Oh, yeah. (laughs) And that's why they're boys in trees. Yeah. When do boys' heads come out of the trees? Uh, Usually around about the 30s, in my experience. (laughs) (laughs) I was going to say never, but... (laughs) Oh, well, it depends. Like, sometimes my head can be still in in the trees at certain things because, you know, I have to keep that childhood innocence about myself in some capacity in there while living life as a grown-up. What I love about this scene, though, is... And we haven't really talked about the soundtrack to this movie just oh, being yeah. amazing and really... Absolutely. Because it's basically, like, you know, songs that came around from that period, mixture of Australian, international songs and that. But what I like about yeah. this scene that made me... I just loved, and the fact that they put this song on the soundtrack is they put uh, It's All Right by E17 in this scene. <laughs> That was so what? nostalgic, that song. My it God. was like playing in the background. And for those out there who don't know, E17 were this boy band from Britain in the early 90s. And they kind of mixed um, singing and rapping, but they were kind of very more socially <laughs> and politically driven as a boy band compared to others. Mm, and yeah. the song It's All Right was like a big number one hit in Australia, like maybe a year or two prior. So I thought it was funny that they... Out of all the songs which feature, like, alternative, rock, it's like, oh, here's a song from a British boy band playing in this scene. There you go. <laughs> but uh, just looking at the um, the um, soundtrack, we have artists. We have Spiderbait, great Australian band, everybody. Mm. Um, the Presidents of the United States of America, Dinosaur Jr., Gary Newman. Yep. Uh, Bush. Uh, Pendulum are on here. Now, I have loved Pendulum for as long as I can remember, but I did not know they were around in 1997. What the hell? I love that. Uh, Rammstein, The Mavises, E17, Garbage, Leonardo's Bride. That is. Yes. That that song, (laughs) even when I'm sleeping, was basically the the love song of 1997, 1998. Yeah, definitely. Uh, Wendy Rule, Yoko Ono and Porcupine Tree. Porcupine Tree I love. And Wendy Rule. So, like, it's a pretty Mm. freaking good soundtrack. That's just the official original motion picture soundtrack because obviously we do have um there's some tori amos in there as well there's Mm. marilyn manson um a couple of other different artists yeah like um i know the director nick nicholas verso he actually has a playlist on spotify that has all the songs that are on from the original soundtrack but also songs that he actually considered for the film and it's got like silver chair tori amos metallica like so i guess ones that he was thinking like he wanted to put in the film i would probably he couldn't mm. get the rights to, or maybe they were too expensive yeah. to use. But yeah. he did say it's like the songs from the actual film, but also alternative mm. songs that could have been in the film. It's on it's on Spotify, so it's easy to. I'm gonna have to check it out. Yeah, I miss '90s too. like rock, like Australian rock. Anyway, 
I miss uh, Silverchair when they were good. And yeah. The song that he picked for would have been perfect for the cemetery scene because it was the song Cemetery. <laughs> <laughs> what album is that yeah. off? Um, I was a uh, freak show. Oh, that's right. Yeah, because that came out in that came Same out in '97. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Far out. Such a good album. I got little old me at eight years old listening to Silverchair. <laughs> I would have been about thirteen when I started listening to them. Uh, but yeah, the soundtrack for this is just phenomenal. Okay. And I think that a lot of Australian filmmakers just do a really incredible job at a, like choosing appropriate music for their films. Mm. It's just, it just blows my mind. I suppose in a way, like how they were able to get most of these songs because Mush, Mushroom Records like produced the film. And of course ah. they, they were a record company. So maybe they were able to get like a lot of the songs yeah. for this mm. film. The fact that they got Glycerin on there, I'm just like, oh, yeah. Yeah. how? At the time, that would have been one of the biggest songs of, of the decade. Yeah, and, and each mm. song actually works well with the scene that it's played mm. in. It's almost yeah, like it does. Like it fits mm. each scene. Like even the scene where basically like Django and that, when they're going around looking for Corey and destroying stuff and all that along the way, they play Ramstein and that song suits that scene really yeah. well. Oh, what song was it? Let me just check. Uh, I, I keep wanting to say Do Huss because that's their most well-known song, uh, but I know Angel. it's not it. Yeah. It's Angle. Yeah. Which I think is actually Angel in yeah. German. In, I'm, I, yeah. Look, I don't know German, so. <laughs> <laughs> Neither do I. I don't know. <laughs> it sounds right. Um, so, unfortunately, Django and his little posse catch up to um, Corey and Jonah and Romney at the petrol station. So he says, you know, we've been looking for you. Jonah is hiding outside of the store, thankfully. And he basically sees Corey and Django laughing together um, until Django tells Corey that they vandalised Jonah's mother's tombstone and that they need Corey to take pictures of it. Yeah, that's horrible. Fuck mm. off. You fuck have to be and fuck off. You'd have to be a special <laughs> bit of an asshole to kind of go and do that to someone's uh, sicko. Yeah, to someone's mum's grave. Like that's just not on at all. No, that's no. horrible. It's but, um, disgusting. Yeah. Thankfully, Corey refuses to be cruel, and him and Django get into a punch up. Mm. So Romney discreetly calls the cops from behind the stores, check out, um, and basically. Django knocks Corey to the floor, uh, but Corey refuses to like refuses Django's apology when he does give one, and just gets up and leaves. As he should. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's like um, I'm I'm tired of your shit. I'm out. So yeah, exactly. Yeah, and that's like another part of his like character mm. arc where he's just like, do I want to be that person anymore? I I'm rejecting that person that I once was. Maybe mm. the old me 12 hours ago would have done that. Who knows yeah. how long corey has been sick of, of Django shit? I'd say probably a while at this point. Yeah. Because mm. it's come to like a precipice of like pissed off. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. It's boiling over. Yeah. Um, so Corey actually goes and finds mm. Jono to help him clean up the toilet paper and vandalism at his... I don't know if it's Jonah's house... But Jonah's like they're cleaning up their mess. Why? Dickheads. Sweet angel. Yeah. Um Corey heads home 
um, and gets his application for New York University out of the trash can. <laughs> New York University. Um, so he he starts to reflect on his relationship with and his his childhood friendship with Jonah, and we see kind of a flashback of his mm. his you know interaction and uh, them hanging out together. And he you know thinks probably to himself, well, you know what, I done goofed. I'm going to go find Jonah. So Jonah's hanging out in the sewer. Um, the two reconcile and they go and vandalize Django's house together. Damn straight, as they should. <laughs> Booyah! <laughs> Fuck you, Django. Fuck you, Django. <laughs> uh, <laughs> this bit is like typical boys. He's like, we just need to make one more pit stop and they go to Romney's house so that Corey can apologise and just leaves Jonah out the front of the house. He's like, mate, I, you could just go in here. I just want to know where he got that snow machine from because in the scene where they're back at the petrol station, she mentions, like, because she wants to go to Canada and one of the snow, yeah. because she's never seen snow. And I'm like, where did Corey get this machine? snow machine prop <laughs> and she's like that's that this is dangerous this might kill us because it can cause cancer this machine <laughs> she is the voice of reason in this film she is <laughs> and somehow Corey gets a snow machine but also gets to have sex with romney now, yes, yes. I always get so awkward when characters who are meant to be teenagers end up having sex, and I'm kind of like, oh, yeah. I, uh, this is too weird for me. Yeah. <laughs> 100% because you don't want to see that. I don't want to see that. Uh, basically, nope. they agree to leave their shitty-ass town together, which is nice. They make, like, a little pact. And Corey mm. returns to the street uh, outside to look for Jonah, who's disappeared because I think he chased a dog down the street. It was, uh, he saw the, um, I think he, he saw a woman uh, oh. across the road from where he was wearing this kind of um, sort of uh, traditional Mexican kind of, um, uh, trying to think of what the word is, Day of the Dead kind of costume. Oh, Dia de los Muertes. Yes. Um, so he sees her. And then, of course, when Corey comes out looking for, Jonah, he sees his dog Rex and then follows And And Rex takes him to where Jonah is and Jonah is actually at a Day of the Dead ceremony that appears to be held for Jonah and his mother. Now I know this is meant to be Halloween and Mm. um, I don't, I'm not too sure when Day of the Dead is but I have a feeling it might be in the first week of November. I'm not, no that's Cinco de Mayo. Um, I have to look this up. I yeah, think I'm pretty it's sure it's November 1st, 1st or something. Yeah. Well, I guess um, if we turn off how long the events of this night happen, I guess this is past midnight it, now. It could be past midnight. Yeah, absolutely. And um, on the oh, 2nd of, of November. Yeah, yeah. So it's heading oh, no, wait, into the... Oh, yeah. No, it is. Okay. Yeah, it's heading into... Sorry, I just doubly checking. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, and I don't know, so I don't know if they're doing the Dios de los Muertes because Jonah is perhaps, uh, American, like Mexican and his mother maybe, because there's a couple of photos on the ofrenda, the, um, the ceremony thing. Yeah. I guess like it, that's the thing I kind of love about this film is like, is some of the events like actually happening or not? 
Like some are, yeah. are pretty obvious, but this one in particular, like I even I'm sort of thinking like, is this scene actually happening or mm. is it like when we find out what actually is up with Jonah, is yeah. this kind of like almost because throughout this whole film he's being chased by this um man in man white played play yeah. by uh uh First Nations Australian First Nations actor um Trevor Jameson. And he oh, sort okay, of like cool. this um follows him around. And we're not sure who he is at first, but it's pretty mm. obvious once we get to towards the end who yeah. the, who he's meant to represent. Mm. And I feel yeah. like this is that sort of scene, like the him and also these people are kind of closing in on Jonah. Yeah. And I think Jonah knows, like, you know, I, up. something is up. But mm. I think this is a really cool scene because you've got, yeah. Um, yeah. I believe that is Wendy. It might, you know, it could be completely wrong, so forgive me. That is Wendy Rule who's doing the singing. I did read, I was reading that earlier and I wish I took a note of it. Um, But I know that whoever did sing it learnt Spanish to be able to sing that song. Yeah. And then Trevor Jameson, of course, does this really could a cool rendition of Lives, Lightning Crashes, which I'm shocked is not actually on the soundtrack. I know it's only a small. It's such a good song. It's such a good song. I mean, it's clear that he, like, Nicholas Verso wanted the song in the movie because it's on his big playlist of mm. this movie. But I guess they, he couldn't get the actual song. Maybe maybe he's always intended like having the song in it, but not the actual original version. But yeah. but it would have been cool to hear a full version of what Trevor Jameson yeah, sings because no, how he sings it is very haunting yeah. and unique. Mm. I love it, and it's very it's like he's how he sings it is almost like very like intimidating as well. Mm. Yeah. Mm. it's like um very ominous yeah exactly yeah. that's probably the best word to describe it is very mm. ominous mm. yeah this is probably the first horror film i've seen where they've actually put an indigenous actor in the film <laughs> i mean there's been quite a few australian <laughs> horror films in the past but this is definitely one of the more recent examples of, yeah um, yeah of ha- where they're of- not poorly portrayed yeah exactly mm. Oh, besides Nightingale, that's that's a good one. That is a great movie. <laughs> the actor in that's fantastic. I love it. I, I love both the the main actors in that film. Um, I digress. Um, so I love this because they're all they're kind of like starting to tessellate almost, and mm. Corey's like trying to find his way in mm. to find Jonah. Yeah, and he spots him and kind of snaps Jonah out of this trance as he's watching. Um, this man in white sing and says, you know, we should get out of here. So they take off running away and there's these shadow creatures following after them. Mm. And um, Corey is running after Jonah because Jonah's run off and he catches up and he says, you know, who was that man? Who was that man? And Jonah says, the first time you meet him, you won't remember, but the second time you meet him, you'll never forget. Which I was Mm. just like, Oh, how do you know that you met him the first time then? Mm. Yeah. Maybe because you don't forget him. It's very... uh, Maybe it's kind of like something It plays in the back of your mind, but then when you see him a second time, Mm. it's sort of... like, oh. Yeah, then you know. Mm. Or he probably only said it, like, basically that's how it it, it was, what it was like seeing this man twice. Oh, yeah. Yeah, because he only, up to this point until that scene, yeah, he only met the guy twice, was you know, at the petrol station and then at this, um, at this, at this, uh, at this party. Yeah. 
some of these things sometimes just go over my head and I'm like, oh, (laughs) that didn't land, damn it. (laughs) I think um, Jonah's words are are more telling in what happens towards the end of the film in regards to the man in white. Yeah, definitely. Mm. Oh, and we're getting closer to the end and I'm just like, no. (laughs) The shocking conclusion. Yeah. (laughs) Um, then there's this really disturbing scene where Jonah just vomits this clear liquid everywhere. Yep. <laughs> and I was like, oh, oh, okay, that's where we're going. <laughs> and um, the man in white appears again. He doesn't say anything, um, but eventually they're just surrounded by the, the creatures and Corey saves them using his lighter and a smoke flare and, like, gets them the hell out of there. Where did that sm- smoke flare come from? Like, these things, Corey can bring out a, sm- a snow machine, a, a flare. Yep. <laughs> I'm just going to carry it. I think, I think Corey might have secretly had a woman's handbag on him <laughs> where you've got everything in there. <laughs> He's just carrying a Mimco around with him. Yeah. Exactly. It's like and, and, and when you have a handbag or some of that, do you have something? And I look in my bag. Oh, yeah, I've I think got so. That. Yeah, I've Maybe. just magically got everything in my handbag. Yeah, I pulled out a stack of like a post-it note like stack the other day, yeah. and I was like, oh, post-it notes. Don't know why or where I even got them. Um, They're just there. And see, that is the magic of a handbag. Exactly. So I think Corey just had a handbag. Got a handbag. Yeah. yeah. I wish I had a fucking smoke flare in my handbag. That'd be badass. I think I need to start storing them in there just in case. Yeah. Do I need a license to have one? <laughs> probably not. Oh, well, then that's all right then. Because I'd probably be like, be like, denied. <laughs> Why do you want one? I'm a pyromaniac and I like cool, shiny things. And you don't even have to use it against, uh, like, uh, shadow monsters. If somebody's, like, of the trying to steal your seat on the bus, you'd be like, just pull it out and just throw it in their faces. <laughs> I just want to run around my neighbourhood with it. (laughs) Be that weirdo. Nothing exciting happens in my neighbourhood. Actually, think about it. Didn't did they have like him and Django and all that? Did they have smoke smoke flares when Uh, they were running around? Yeah, I think they Uh, did. He might have just had he might have just had some in his pockets or something. Yeah. Who fuck knows what those boys had on them? Who knows? I don't know what kind of party they were thinking of having. Smoke flares and condoms, we know that much. Yeah. And a smoke mach- and a snow machine. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so ahead of them as they're running through the uh the forest, I'm guessing. Like it's like a it's not really a forest, is it? It's the bush. Yep. And they spot this massive, beautiful tree covered in lights, and they begin to climb up the tree. And Jonah can see the man in white below them. And so he's saying, you know, we've got to climb higher and higher and higher. We've got to get away from the man in white. Um, And I just really love this scene Um, because as they're climbing, we see, you know, toys from their childhood and different, like, artifacts from their life on the, the branches of the tree. Um, and they kind of also turn into their younger selves as well yeah. as they're climbing, which I thought was really magical. Yeah, and I like the little touch of when the kids actually talk. It sort of mixes both the voices of the kids and also yeah. um, the adult, um, yeah. Corey and Jonah, like mixing their voices together. Mm. It was cool. And I do love um, the scene because it's like even though, yeah, they're teenage boys, 
they still have that sort of like that that kid inside them like that yeah that childlike remembering like remembering what it was like to mm. when they were friends as kids and what they used to yeah do. yeah i love it i just i love this tree it's so cool. oh it's beautiful like the way it's shot and lit it's mm. just magnificent um so they're they're it so this scene is really horrible and um, just really heartbreaking. Um, so they're sharing a memory together about one Halloween that they um, ran through the tunnels dressed for trick-or-treating and they ran into two older boys who attacked them. Mm. Corey managed to escape and left Jonah behind and Jonah was molested by the boys. And mm. basically Corey refused to speak to him out of shame and embarrassment he felt because he left him behind and that horrible thing happened to him. And mm. He says he wishes things could have ended differently and tells Jonah that um, he was his only real friend. Mm. And I was just mm. like, oh, that's so sad. It's very tough. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it's a beautiful scene that kind of shows, like, the actions of what Corey has been and what he's been feeling as he's going into as an adult is yeah. because of guilt and not mm. doing more to have helped his friend. And again, yeah. out of sort of shame and stuff like that, he pretty mm. much stopped being friends with Jonah. And I guess he's tried to find the solace with this other group of friends, but then he realizes mm. like, like he has, he has nothing in common with these guys. He doesn't have that same type of close friendship that he had with Jonah. Yeah. hundred mm. percent. Yeah. Poor Jonah. I know. <laughs> So they climb down from the trees and they head towards the stream that we saw earlier where Jonah had been drinking. And Corey tells Jonah um, he's sorry for leaving him. And Jonah says that their night spent together has kind of made up for it. And Jonah points out a floating body in the stream. Mm. Corey realises that Jonah has disappeared and that it's actually Jonah physically in the stream. And Corey dives into the, the creek and is trying to get him out and is you know, screaming for help. Um, Corey tries to call his father, but his dad is asleep with headphones on. He's an, Corey's an absolute wreck. And, you know, it's um, really heartbreaking that Corey is reaching out to his dad, but his dad isn't listening. And I think that that shows a lot about their relationship as well, mm. Um, mm. where his dad is there, but not physically. Not there, yeah. Yeah, like not, sorry, not emotionally there. For yeah, kind of like. Him the absent parent in that emotional sense yeah absolutely his dad's like mm. yeah i'm the cool dad but i'm i don't really listen to anything you say yeah which is very sad yeah um in contrast to this situation Django is at home ransacking his own bedroom because he's lost Corey as a friend so this is where we see him you know the rage and the grief and the loss that Django is going through mm. um the police arrive and Corey's dad tells him um that the police are saying that Jonah had been in the water since the late afternoon. They believe it was an accident and he must have slipped and hit the back of his head crossing the stream. Corey tells his dad he'd like to go fishing that weekend at the lake. It's just a very just. Dis- this is the only scene where I was like, this is really disjointed for me. Yeah. It's almost like in the, it's kind of um, trying to repair that relationship with his dad by saying, yeah, let's go fishing. But it's like mm. at the same time as like you just discovered you're, your friend is dead 
Like yeah. it feels like yeah. trying to do both these things at the same time. That it's, but it yeah. does feel disjointed mm. and uneven. A yeah. little bit, yeah. It could have easily been done in the next part where um, Django arrives to comfort Corey, mm. you know, mm. and it shows a lot about maybe Django is also coming to terms with change because he reaches mm. out first to amend that rift between them. Yep. Yeah. And then Corey kind of just lets it go and he cries and Django hugs him. And I was just like, there, it feels like it's letting go of those childlike um, uh, apprehensions of showing emotion. Yeah. 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 And I I like the little details that when that scene's happening with them hugging, uh, Mm. the the other friends, they take off their masks and everything else. And you could even say that's sort of um, symbolic of them finally revealing their true selves. As yeah. Well. Except for the guy who has face paint on because he can't really he can't. do it. And <laughs> <laughs> that's stuck there. Exactly. <laughs> Someone get this man a makeup wipe. Mm-hmm. Well, the interesting thing about this scene is because you see an ambulance, and I was just reading up trivia before, is that uh, the Nicholas Verso deliberately decided not to show any cars in this film. Yeah, at I saw all. that. <laughs> because he, cause he knew none of the car, he couldn't get any act. Er, uh, cars that were accurate to the period. So basically, mm. he decided no cars appear in this film at all, and the only <laughs> ambulance that shows up at the end, like, is which is appears. surprising because it's filmed in Adelaide, and I'm pretty sure Adelaide has like <laughs> quite old cars. cars. Yeah, yeah. I like where I live. You'd be able to find heaps of like mm. 1995 bombs. Yeah. yeah, but the thing I love about this film, like even though, yeah, it's set in 1997, there's a timelessness mm. to it. Like, yeah. like if I didn't know this film was set in 1997, I could easily thought, oh, it's set today. But, yeah. I mean, except for, you know, obviously it's 1997 because you see a poster of the Crow City of Angels on, yes. <laughs> on Crow's <laughs> wall. I the love the really the sequel. <laughs> <laughs> it was popular at then. It came out that year, so it's like, oh, this movie came out. Let's just put this on the wall. Well, I guess that's cool. Kids know it, right? Kids like um, the crow, right? <laughs> yes. Um, so they fast forward a year later, and Corey is living in New York. And Romney is living in Canada. They're speaking via video chat in nineteen in nineteen ninety eight. Is it nineteen ninety eight? Is it is it really a year later? I thought this was many years later. No, it's a year later. Yeah, but there was no Wi Fi in nineteen ninety eight. <laughs> we had dial up internet. We had, dial-up. We still had webcams. Um, maybe they had Wi Fi in America. I don't know. I don't know. We we had we had dial up. Yeah. We had so you could connect a modem to something, mm. and we still had webcams. I don't. I just and also he had a fancy MacBook, and I was like, <laughs> MacBooks did not look like that until like mm. mid two thousands. No, no, I honestly think this might have been later, because oh. yeah, because remember they showed the shot of because he's in New York. If you look yeah. at that scene, there's no two towers in that shot. So it has to. Wouldn't have been if they filmed. Oh no, because they could superimpose it, couldn't they? Yeah, they could have like said it like, Mm. "Oh, this is before 2001." I think this is years later. Maybe they might have looked up the year. I don't know. (laughs) Because I was this was like ten years later or something like that. That's my. That was one of my thoughts, or Mm. at least maybe longer than that. Okay, that would make a lot more sense as to why they have Mm. a Wi-Fi and b a fancy MacBook. That is true. That is true. All right, you're onto something. 
But I do like <laughs> in this scene, like, even though, yeah, this is Corey going out living his dreams, like, if you look around his apartment, there's, like, trinkets of all the things that, from his childhood, because, like, mm. in the one of the last flashbacks we see him and Jonah as kids, they were playing, like, with this wolf and this sort of boy puppet, and they're actually mm. there on the bookcase. And, of course, you see, like, a lot of other little trinkets like that. And of course, one of the big pictures on his wall is uh, the picture of Jonah with the bloody nose. Yeah, which mm. I thought was quite interesting that he chose that to hang in his mm. loft apartment that he probably pays a million dollars a month to live in. Exactly. <laughs> he be, well, he's working for The Voice, apparently, so he must be paying a lot. I don't know he how much... He's working for The Voice? Yeah. Did I miss that bit? Yeah, he said The Voice. Um, oh. So he must be must be a hotshot, like, photographer for that, uh, for mm. them. Actually, I think, yeah, it would actually be several years later because they really change up his look. Like, he's got the longer mm. hair and stuff. He's obviously got a job mm. out of school. Oh, yeah. yeah. It would make more sense, yeah. And also... I didn't like, even think about that, to be honest. <laughs> that to be stuff so I was just like, it's been a year. Wi-Fi yeah. in its infancy because it keeps mucking up on his uh, Skype mm. call with Romney. And, and I like the fact that even years later, they're still together. <laughs> so... Yeah, and that she's in Canada and he's in New York. Mm. Yeah, well, you know, that, that, that's close. They could easily fly to see each other, so. <laughs> oh, true. <laughs> to me, I'm like, that's forever away. <laughs> um, the uh, the film closes as Corey puts on Jonah's masks, mask her, and heads off <laughs> into the streets of New York to celebrate Halloween. Mm. That's a oh, little that's bit cute. Hmm. That's the movie. That's the movie. That movie's so brilliant. I, I'm going to show that to... No, maybe kids dying isn't the best thing to show my nieces. No. <laughs> maybe wait till they're teenagers and then they can relate to the characters. Mm. That's true, yeah. Yeah. It could be like, this is kind of what it was like being a teenager in the, this... or, you know, in the earlier years. Five years before I was a teenager, but still. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, like I was even, almost a teenager. <laughs> but even then, like I was, but I was saying, like it has a timeless quality to it, but it's also mm. a very universal film as well. Like no matter what mm. age you are, like whether you are a teenager now or much older, or whether you were born in, where you were a teenager in 1997 or like, or today, like there are themes in this film that are so relatable and universal, universal that we will still still relate to every, all the personal struggles that these characters mm. go through. Yeah. Mm. It's just so real. Mm. It very it very is. It very <laughs> much is. Um, so one thing I was going to ask you both. So as we find out, obviously, the, the body was Jonah. Did did you feel like Jonah was deceased through the whole film, at least up until he first sees him by himself at the skate park? Or do you think at some point during their time together, Jonah had fallen into the lake? I always hmm. assumed that, I guess for me, like he might have fallen in the lake, but he didn't know he died. Like, Interesting, yeah. Like he, and then of course, once he sees this this man in white, who's obviously meant to be the personification of death, coming yeah. to claim him, 
Mm. Um, so basically on some level, you kind of knew like, who's this guy I keep following, but he's not sure who. But then as mm. the movie progresses, like then he, especially with that sort of um, ceremony that they were at, mm. I think he starts to realize that, you know, I think I might oh, be dead. I might be dead. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Um, oh, for me, I kind of had an inkling, but obviously wanted to wait and see if it was right towards the end of the mm. film. And then when the end of the film happened, I was like, oh, so much makes sense because, mm. you know, there's a scene where um, uh, Jonah falls off his skateboard and hits the back of his head, but he totally should have died in that scene. Um, mm. There's not even any blood anywhere. Mm. Um, he throws up that water in front of mm-hmm. um, the man in white. So there's like lots of things that happen that go, oh, they all symbolized his death mm. and it's been planted along here for us mm. to eventually find out what happened to him. Oh yeah, definitely. Mm. Like when you sort of rewatching this film again, and I've seen this film a few times, like once you sort of rewatch the film, knowing that he's dead the entire mm. time, all the clues and everything are all there. Yeah. And, they are. And, it, and it's weird though, because this is one of those cases where like, if it, one of those twists, like you find out, oh, the character has been dead the entire time. Like, most of the time, I'll think, oh, that's like a cheap kind of twist we've seen a billion, mm. zillion times before. But the way how this film handles it, like, yeah, on some level, you think, oh, it's predictable. But how it's sort of handled, it still works because it hits you emotionally, regardless. Mm, yeah. Mm. And it's sort of, and also, and then you can't help but just be sort of taken in by it. So even if, yeah, it's predictable. Like if you, I, I mean, I kind of had a hinkling the first time I watched. It. I was like, mm. I bet he's dead, and mm. yeah, but yeah, it just the the fact that the build up to that scene works so well that when mm. it happened, I wasn't pissed off about it. I was more yeah more ta- sad, mo- sad and moved by it. Yeah. Do you think, in a way, um, like what Corey experiences with Jonah? Do you feel like? Um, it's kind of um, a manifestation of his regret and guilt with how he treated his former friend as they got older. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Mm. Especially after seeing what happened at the skate park earlier. In, yeah. And mm. also seeing Janya putting up those photos and everything mm. everywhere. And also when they were at the scene where they threw that dead bird at his mm. window. Like, mm. I think all those mm. things were there. And then, of course whether you know him like it was always playing at the back of his mind and then once he sees this sort of specter of jonah Mm. like and of course as you find out all the stories that jonah was saying are all kind of metaphors Mm. for the things that they're going through um yeah and especially the one in the drain which basically is mirrors like what actually split them apart Mm. in the first place Mm. um so Mm. all these things are very effective and yeah i think it's you could easily say like uh, you know, what Jonah being there might have been a manifestation of Corey's guilt mm. rather than him, Jonah being an actual ghost. But I like mm. to think it's kind of like a mixture of the two. Like it is Jonah mm. as a ghost, but yeah. you're going on this journey with him, Corey realizes kind of the, mm. re- the regrets that he has and how he treated mm. um, yeah. Jonah. Mm. I kind of see Jonah as like this guide that has come to help Corey learn how to make decisions. Mm. Mm. And even though he doesn't know that maybe he doesn't know he's dead or Corey doesn't know that he's dead yet, maybe Jonah does know. And he's just like, I have to help my friend before I leave, like before I can get out of this place. 
I've got to show Corey how he can um, be this totally different person to what he is mm. and the person that I know he can be. Mm. And I think Jonah just helps him through that as like a, yeah. Like some, some kind, kind of, of angel. Yeah. <laughs> mm. And I think when Jonah talks about like not growing up, all those kinds of things, like I think that's a big, like a really interesting clue and indication of that he has passed on and he will literally be that kid forever he doesn't get to grow up and going through those lessons where that's exactly what Corey needs to do yeah absolutely and basically like he's now become one of the ghost stories that kids in the future will probably talk about the Mm. boy who fell in in that creek Mm. yeah that's so sad. It is very sad. Just beautiful storytelling. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah, beautiful storytelling, and yeah, I'd love to see um, more of this uh, director and writer's work. I know you have to check out that Shutter Short. <laughs> yeah, I know he directed a movie that came out last year for the Sci Fi Channel called um, Toys of Terror. It's like a Christmas horror film. Oh wow! <laughs> About killer toys. Wow. Okay, okay. I'm That's in. A- departure yeah well that's the thing i sort of i saw like the at trailer for it i'm like oh looks like fun and then i was like looking up wait nicholas verso the guy who made boys in the trees directed this i need to see this right now okay i'm adding that to my list i made a um because my partner is in a band and he's been he's they tour on weekends because they all work full-time and i think Mm. that's just so cute um so he's like away for like three or four weekends in a row and i was like okay i'm putting together a list of movies that i have to watch while he's away um there's currently 30 movies on it (laughs) i don't know how i'm gonna uh, it just keeps growing and i'm like okay this is the new watch list that i've got to get through (laughs) or i just won't see him when he comes back and i'll be like sorry i'm busy watching movies exactly you just have to stand over there until i finish these movies look i I mean it's got the annabelle series on it but (laughs) which i I watched the first one and i kind of dig it so it's a good it's an underrated series one is much better the second one the second one is fantastic the, really the third movie, I think, is I really enjoyed the third film as well. And that's what I would say is a good introduction to give to kids to um, if you want to get them into horror because the main characters are kids. So. <laughs> <clears throat> and it's a like. But then it's like, you know, Annabelle's, they actually waken Annabelle and then she decides, like, I'm just going to waken all these other things inside this the Warren's room and just like oh, re- in unleash all- yeah, in the museum and unleash all these ghosts and everything on these poor kids. <laughs> <laughs> I would love to go to that museum. Oh, I would too. It's uh, it's shut. Uh, one of my, I actually did a podcast recorded with a friend last weekend and it shut because it failed. Like it got, it failed like a zoning. It got a, it got a zoning violation whatever that means so it can't operate as a museum so now it shut down and i was like well remember when they were basically they were like oh we're gonna move annabelle from one building to another and they did basically Mm. like a live stream she's gonna come alive and like and wreak and wreak havoc and i thought that should be that I thought, you know what, that should be the plot of one of the Annabelle films. Like they try to move <laughs> her from one building to another, and then of course 
creepy shit happens. Yeah, I know the Dybbuk box went to Zach Bagans. Oh, yeah. In his museum in Las Vegas. So it's there. I'm going there. Just Zach Bagans, I'm coming to Vegas. I want to find that museum that has Robert the Doll, which is... No! No! I hate... Okay, so some friends of mine have um, went through this like Twitter thing where they were just watching all the Robert the Doll movies. And I, like what? There's like seven or eight of them. <laughs> I, I watched all of them. And I was just like, you are nuts. And I love the enthusiasm. <laughs> that original Robert the Doll, like, cause it's so old and stuff. It just freaks me the fuck out. And I don't, oh, yeah, I, bet. I never want to look at it. <laughs> I'm never so watching I, it. I, I never want to visit the real one. No. I heard it's I on Tubi. I, 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 it, it is. Um, oh, yes. <laughs> but if I ever saw, like, the real Robert the Doll, the very real life Robert the Doll, I don't want to see it because it just freaks me out. I yeah. would go I would go face to face with Annabelle because just a fucking Raggedy Ann doll. You can hug her. Yeah, Robert the Doll looks like that, um, what was it? What's that thing from Lift Lift Off? That kids. Show oh, that whole PC with they, the no face. Mr. Thing. Squiggle. No. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> it does look like EC from uh, Lift Off. Was it EC? Yeah, from He's... Lift Off. Oh, I know it. Yes. Okay. I, oh my gosh. I he basically that has doll. no. That doll has no face and no hair. It's terrifying. Why did they like like us watch that as kids? There was a lot of scary stuff. We. As kids, you had like the Ferals, Johnson and Friends. And I loved Ferals. I loved the Ferals too, and also Mully Grubs. And like these, the things that feature in these shows are legit nightmare fuel. And one time, no joke, and this is one of my favorite claims to fame, I posted a tweet. It's like, like, uh, I think there was like some ad that was playing in the US at the time. It was like the scariest ad ever put. And it was like, I put like, uh, the Americans, we have like the we've made some of the scariest things for television. I thought, <laughs> and Australia's like I put Australia hold my beer. It was like picture all these characters from kids shows. Yeah, for kids shows. And no joke, James Wan liked that status. <laughs> <laughs> I just would have died. I just I'd be dead. And that's the second time he's acknowledged me on Facebook. And the first time was like, was like, I re- reviewed The Conjuring. And this was like before he became big. I was like, oh, I'm going to like this review of yours. Oh, my God. That's so f- Oh, I'm one of, I'm a huge fan of James Wan. I just would have killed over oh, and yeah. died. And I'm the- dead. That's it. Done. We're, we're, we love, I'm a huge James Wan fan. And, of course, Marcy even probably even more so because the Saw series is her favorite franchise. Nice, it is. I have my Saw poster right there. I noticed my homage <laughs> to Saw One. I just pick, I noticed. pick those. Uh, we're excited <laughs> yes. for Spiral because we're there oh. for the Oh, I'm waiting to see if I get a presser for it, so I'll see how I go. <laughs> I've applied, but we'll see. <laughs> nice. All right, so for uh the last segment of the podcast what's the last horror movie you watched um i'll let you go first march marcy why why are you doing this to me (laughs) all right all right i'll go first (laughs) i'm I'm sitting here like what What did i want did you tell me this morning that you were gonna watch a certain doco (laughs) that's not or did that not happen what what doco or noir you were texting me to tell you you're gonna watch that doco (laughs) 
Oh, I watched that yesterday. Yeah, you, that could be. Like, yeah, I mean, I guess kind of. It's a documentary about horror. Well, it can nice. still count. It can still count. <laughs> okay, well, I watched Horror Noir on Shudder. Oh, I've finally. been meaning to watch that. I really want to watch In Search of Darkness. Um, it's too long. <laughs> it is very long. But uh, Horror Noir is not that long. It's about yeah. 80 minutes, I think. And it's actually a really, really interesting documentary and it, it goes into a lot of um, a lot of things within horror and with um, like the black representation in horror. And there was a lot of things like I that didn't click with me and that I didn't realize. So it was very eye opening. And it definitely talks about uh, the different interpretations or what people have taken away from uh, the different films and different characters. So it's definitely uh, worth watching. And um, I hope Shudder sort of has more like documentaries come on. Yeah, I'd love it. to see that. Mm. Highly recommended. Um, I guess for me, I only just watched this the other day because Marcy was uh, told me, babe, you need to watch this movie. I watched a, uh, a 1982 German horror film called The Fan. Okay, I think I've heard of that. It's the fan. The fan. Not like the the fan. It's like D E R the German, fan. so you say it da, German. Da, da the fan. fan. The fan. The fan. The fan. But um, yes. it, yeah, it's um I won't try to say too much about it because it's one of those movies that's best to go in not knowing too much about it. It's about this okay. young teenage girl named Simone, and she become she's a fan of this sort of German new wave singer just simply named R. And she becomes obsessed with him to the point that he that she decides to stalk him, and that's all I'm going to say about it because okay. it goes completely batshit insane in the last half. But and I agree what Marcy was because Marcy told me it's like, "Be watch this movie and tell me that this movie did not inspire the Neon Demon." Okay. Well, because and yeah. Nicholas Winding Refn's whole career just about. And you watch it and I'm like, holy shit, this does feel like a Nicholas Winding Refn film, like mm. pre-early 80s Nicholas Winding Refn. And that's yeah. what the movie reminded me so much of. It's like it's got a great soundtrack. The the actress who plays Simone, um, I'm probably going to butcher her name, so forgive me, uh, Desiree <laughs> Roshbush. <laughs> um, she's fantastic in it and it's like really compelling it's really creepy and where it goes in the last half is good com- i mean i kind of knew where i was going to go myself but definitely go into it not knowing too much because i think people are going to be like legit like what the fuck when they get <laughs> to that last half yeah nice. i i will champion that movie to the end of time and it was one of my watches for 31 Days of Horror last year, which I didn't finish, but I think I saw oh. that film and I was like, I'm done. This is the best. Oh, I don't need to watch anything else. Don't worry about yeah, it. Yeah, exactly. All right, I'm going to have to check it out. Where did you watch it? Anonymously. Sources. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. I believe there is a re-release Blu-ray yeah. oh, okay. available. Oh, Umbrella probably do a copy of it. Yeah, exactly. No and yeah. I mean... I mean, if you've got a VPN, it probably might be easy to find if you look around oh, I guess in the so. world. So. VPN <laughs> streaming services. Yes. Excellent. And I can definitely see this being like something Shutter would pick up at some point as well. Hopefully, yeah. I've been watching Shutter via my VPN because Australia Shutter just doesn't get the same as what the US Shutter gets. And I was like, no. I'm not missing out on all these movies. Mm, exactly. exactly. 
I still pay for my Shutter yeah. account, so I'm allowed yeah. to watch it in whatever country I want. Exactly. 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 <laughs> if you pay for it, it's fine, unless it's Tubi, but it's free anyway, so you can just watch that <laughs> anywhere you want in the world as well. Actually, All you Tubi really had, need is Tubi. <laughs> Tubi had some really good movies recently on there, and I was like, get the fuck out. Have you, have you experienced American Tubi? No, that, not yet, because I've been watching it on my phone. I watch it on my lunch break because I'm like, fuck, this movie's dumb. I love it. American <laughs> Tubi, like, I was legit shocked. They have, like, all the fun, trashy stuff that, you know, the Australian version has, but it has, like, legit great movies on there, like, blockbusters and everything. Yeah. Like, I was on there. American the- Tubi has the biggest library of Australian stuff. <laughs> They have seasons of Neighbours, for God's sake. <laughs> oh. That's why it's so brilliant. And MasterChef as well. What? It does. This, the, American, MasterChef. American Tubi will put something as trashy and bad as, like, the Evil Bong movies next to the Hunger Games series. <laughs> They're, like, all together. You get the full spectrum of movies on American Tubi. Nice. That's why I wanted Ameri- I wanted to be in the first place was to watch Evil Bong because someone <laughs> someone tweeted about it and I was just like, oh, that sounds ridiculous. I need to watch this. I could barely sit through like ten minutes of Evil Bong. Oh, I, but I can probably do about six. <laughs> <laughs> I struggled. I struggled. Like the credits go for like ten minutes. As oh, is. well, then that, like, that means the film's even shorter than what it says it is. <laughs> Exactly. The credits are so hard to get through. It, it looks like they made them on like paint on Windows oh, 95. They were probably really high. Probably. <laughs> well, um, thank you both for joining me for an awesome episode talking about Boys in the Trees, a beautiful Australian wonderful. film. I appreciate yeah. it so much after all the rescheduling that we've had to do recently. Yes. <laughs> I'm so sorry. That's all right. It's uh, 2021. It's just as bashed insane as 2020. This year is in, yeah, it's intense. And we're just, um, in, and we're now in May. How we're, the uh, time has gone by way too quickly. I know it's going to be Christmas next me. week. Like seriously, oh, no. no, we need Halloween first, then Christmas yes. next week. Yeah. So. Halloween, my birthday, and then Christmas. We can do it. Well, my birthday is two days before Halloween, so it's <gasps> party time. I'm so jealous. Yeah. Um, where can Sorry. listeners find you, your podcast, and at Al on social media? Well, we are, our main hub is supermarcy.com. That is S-U-P-E-R-M-A-R-C-E-Y.com. Supermarcy for me. And uh, you can find me on Twitter at Supermarcy. And for all our podcasts and everything else, we are available on all the main platforms. You can search like Super Marcy, the Super Network, the Super Podcast, any of our podcasts. We're on like Spotify and Apple Podcasts, Google, all of those ones. And of course, we have the Super Network on YouTube. And uh, yeah, killing it. <laughs> Feed. Uh, people Your wanna, socials. Yes. Uh, <laughs> people want to find me personally, they can find me on my Twitter page at twitter.com slash bejamine or my personal writers page at facebook.com slash terribleuzzie. And of course, just go straight to supermarcy.com and find all my writings and work there. And if people are interested to kind of read my column on Boys in the Trees, uh, just go to screen 
thescreamcast.com and you can write read that in the horror down under uh column series awesome well once again thank you both for joining me and listeners support the super network and marcy and bead in all the places mentioned thank you for listening if you've joined this episode and you'd like to help support the podcast please leave a uh, but i can never get my words out Everybody knows me by now. Leave a rating and review to catch all the latest from me. I'm on Twitter at Catstead underscore for all the latest related to podcast content. Follow the podcast on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at TGIF Pod. You've been listening to TGIF. See you next Friday.